0: Ladies and gentlemen, listeners around the world, we're bringing this podcast into the, this season, the season of this podcast into the station. We are finishing our journey on the sophomore uh, album from the Hold Steady Separation Sunday. We're up to the 11th and final track. How a resurrection really feels. We've eschewed the guest. There's no guest. It's just me, Mike Taylor. Mike, you know what to do. Say hi. Hi, hi. And this is how I sound. This is how Mike sounds. And Dan Schwartzman, Dan, you know what to do as well as the producer and genius behind this podcast. Say hi.
1: Oh, I'm just the nerd over here. Don't mind me. No,
0: that's you're quite the opposite. Uh um well guys, <laughs> i
2: <laughs> I'm <laughs> pretty sure i you're, you're, okay. you're the
0: opposite of a nerd. That's what I'm, I am I just I, think I, the
2: opposite is a little strong, but okay. <laughs> 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 it might not you be, but the opposite it. is like overstating it. <laughs> all
0: right, okay. All right. You are you are Guys, this is a random word of the math territory, and you know how <laughs> right, I feel yes. about math. I'm vehemently anti-math. Wow, what a journey it's been. We've had a number of great guests. We have uh, some bonus content, of course, coming up following the end of this season. But it's just been a magnificent journey. Where do we want to start with this final track of this magnificent album? Where do you guys want to start? I, I'm leaving it very open ended this week. I have an emotional
2: thing I could share. Oh, please do, please do. I think this is the song that where I've actually like had tears, but like beer tears. <laughs> Before I had curbed my drinking as much as I I have this past year, I would you know I would go out to bars and hang out and have some, and then I would wake up on Saturday mornings and I'd go running with my friends. That would leave me in like a very dehydrated state by the time I got back home, and Mm -hmm. I would put on music while I was taking a shower, and I put on Separation Sunday on shuffle or something somehow we were already at resurrection while I was in the shower and when the line came up Holly was a hood rat now you finally know that I <laughs> I had tears rolling down my eyes <laughs> while I was naked in the shower it moved me I don't know I was just in a, in a place where I could still taste the cigarettes that I'd had the night before and I was just kind of a husk So that was my resurrection, I guess. I was, you know, getting doused in water and doing penance for my partying the night before. And I was moved by that big reveal in this song. And so there's some serious emotional power in this. I mean, it was kind of a silly moment for me, but uh, it was an authentically felt feeling, so.
0: Well, I I want to go back to that moment. You mean like that was the first time that you'd actually heard that that lyric i mean you know i in, not by by which i mean we all hear a song but like this is that's the first time you really like listen closely and heard that line is that is that why it was so transformative
2: i think yeah i was <laughs> i was uh i was hearing it in a different way i think you know i think i just heard it before like these are some words and i i i think that that would maybe the meaning of it not to get too like literary about it, but just like the the fact that this person that we've been following had hit this bottom that the sort of lowest type of person in a way in this world is like the hood rat, and to 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 have that revelation take place when this person has sort of been held up in so many different ways, spiritually and artistically and romantically. Right. That she's actually been in this incredibly low place, I think, putting together not intellectually but just as a feeling, I think, probably maybe so yeah, I guess maybe I heard it for the first time in a different way, certainly, right. I knew what the words were, but I think i got got something else out of them in the shower <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 again, again, the
0: cleansing water, you know it's that's uh. These are very important. You know, it's, it's, it's funny that maybe you were subconsciously tapping into the mythos that was already sort of being foregrounded in in that song and on that album as well. So
2: all that water imagery and, you know, yeah. And my my brain is like fully dehydrated, like a like a sponge that you've left on the counter for a week, like brittle and <laughs> <laughs> dehydrated because you've spent time in the cultural desert. Exactly, yeah, uh, totally, D- yeah, yeah. Of, of probably
0: Washington, of, of Washington, D.C., yeah, <laughs> of Bloomingdale,
2: yeah, where we, where we right, lived right. at the time, yeah. <laughs> I probably right. got back from your house, Sean, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> My house has an effect on me, it does, yeah, it <laughs>
1: reduces oh. the tears in the showers. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's sometimes a song just hits you differently, or a line yeah. hits you, so I think right, that's yeah. I think it's also this song, the thing that most stands out and is most interesting to me is, and they say in an interview with Vulture, 10 years after, or 10 years into their recording career when they reviewed and picked their favorite songs, and this is Tad's favorite song on the record. Huh. And he says in part, it's, you know, the record was really him doing the music, Craig doing the lyrics, and when... He specifically says, there are all these moments in the studio when Craig's doing vocals and I'm sitting in the control room listening and there's a particular line where the hair on the backs of my neck stands up with when she said, Father, can I tell your congregation how a resurrection really feels? I thought, and I'm quoting, fuck, holy shit, that's the best thing I ever heard. So also quite moved by this song. And Craig then says, because we came of the age during albums, we worked pretty hard on the last songs of the album. And I think I was trying to look at the chords today and try to understand what is it. Because I remember I took a, I don't think it was, I took a songwriting class in college, but I also took another sort of sound class. And the professor played a song for us and said, where's the chorus? And even if you had never heard it before, you knew that, the highest note that begins the chorus, that's the chorus, right? There's, like, certain Uh musical things. And that's sort of the same here with you just know that this is a final track. Like, this is a song that from the first few chords feels final, feels like a finishing, a finish line, even if you don't know how it fades out, even if you don't know the lyrics. And it's, I can't quite... I think what it probably is, it's mostly it's in the key of A, but it's very much just, uh, you know, noodling. It's a very simple tab. If you look it up, you know, you start a couple hammers and noodling on a chord. Then you hit an E, which is a major. And then they do something that I, I love to throw in whenever I, you know. Not that my song rating matters, but I do this in my song rating, and I, I you notice it. They do the a bounce where they go F sharp minor D A. So they bounce on a minor to set up the majors, and then they do it again. And I'm wondering if that's hardly is that it gives you that feeling of movement, but then a landing. And in both cases, they're landing on the home. Famously, they don't do this form this approach here, but famously. If you go on the second to the fifth to the one, you create a sort of really satisfying five to one is the most classic cadence. And that's a, the two is a minor is a nice way. They don't do that. The other thing they do, again, just on the music is when they get into the end and they're rocking out on Walk On Back. And it's a very simple song, the same way that Killer Parties is uh, a little more complicated than Killer Parties structurally, but not much. When they're doing walk on back, it's basically A, E, D, and then back to A. One to five is essentially the same as four to one. That's called a plagal cadence or the amen cadence. Mm -hmm. Amen. And then it's, it's even more obvious when they finish that loop because then they go D back to A, which is the four one again, but in the actual the key that we're in. And so, walk on back. Boom. Like, that's... Uh, so I don't know how they conjure that feeling even before you get there. Once they get to walk on back, it's, like, very clear how pleasing and choral and right conclusive it sounds. But, yeah, that's just something I think about a lot with this song, is just how they... Of course, the lyrics give you a sense of finality too, but there's something in the music itself that is just like, all right, we're home. Rock and
2: roll one, four, five, right? A, A, D, E, those are the three chords. And then the amen, I just like, the three chord, holy trinity of one, four, and five for rock and roll. And then, yeah, like you say, the amen. And also those are called perfect fourths and perfect fifths. So. I'm sure that they didn't write the song like there's all this like biblical puns available. If we just <laughs> That's, we know, if put we it just, all together, That's like, I'm glad he wrote this about resurrection because I was doing Gregorian music theory, <laughs> making sure that I was pursuing the greater glory of God through the, right. the numerology of, of the A, the key of A. But yeah, I just, I just want to flesh out or elaborate a little bit on that. The closing, like you said, Daniel.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny, like I weirdly, even in my non-musical theory driven brain, when I heard that, I guess you you called it a hammer that dun, 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 I heard bells, you know, that's that's kind of what's you like church bells, you know, like, like that's you're hearing, you know, the peal of the church bell because you know this is where we're going to end up. It's obviously where we're going to end up, or, or the so many things about the song sort of propel us toward this moment, and a gorgeous one it is, despite, as you both have said, it's it's simplicity. So, yeah, I this song for me, you know, a lot of personal touchstones, as Mike elaborated. i don't I'm not sure that I was actually crying naked in the shower, but 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 <laughs> but but,
2: but uh, this you should is,
0: try it. <laughs> I you know what? After this podcast, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going for it. Uh, th- this is an album in which I too have occasionally go, "Oh shit, that's a, that's a really moving moment." And and this this song is just as rife with a number of lyrically moving moments and a n- number of musically moving moments. And again, this is their second album, and when we get to these sort of clarifying lines about Holly, her parents named her Hallelujah. The kids they call her holly you finally realize that that's who this is not like you don't finally realize but the thread is tied and then the, the the other line that sort of delineates who holly was holly was a hood rat and now you finally know that I, I think we were joking about this line in previous episodes of this podcast now you finally know that but it is i mean when you hear it you know say, we're looking at this album and this song from the perspective of of a listener, close listeners who have a lot of references from Pulse City lyrics and understand the sort of world that this exists in. But without with only one album to their name prior to this, with this song, when you heard the song, it made you feel smart. You go, Oh yeah, holy shit, these guys, and it, you know, Craig Finn's such a intelligent, gifted lyricist that he makes you feel smart when you go. Oh yeah, I'm putting it all together now. Holly was the hood rat. She was the she heard Hallelujah and her name's Hallelujah. That's that's kind of cool. So there is a sort of a a, a cathartic aspect to the song, in addition to the many ways in which it's 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 already cathartic. So,
1: yeah. Well, and I think when you look at the lyrics, I'm as you were saying that I was searching through to see if they. This is Craig uses the word finally quite a few times here, which is like. Not mm-hmm. the most subtle way of reminding you that this is the end of the story. This this is the last song. <laughs> I hope you get the message. <laughs> and even the, just like you said, those first few lines, it's, it's right. like a summer. It's almost, it's not quite the end credits where you're seeing, you know, 25 years later, Holly ended up it, leading an AA program in the suburbs right. of Minneapolis <laughs> or whatever. But her kids named her Holly Lily, The kids, they called her Holly and she scared you, then she's sorry. She's been stranded at these parties. Like, it's a restatement of the milieu. It's a restatement of the world. The world. Exactly. Where in yeah. And of the character before that first verse, even before anything, he starts to advance the story a little bit more after that. But
0: yeah. Yeah. You know, I I found and again, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but last week we had. Father Christian, Rab, and he talked about how he focused, uh, he focused on the entire milieu and genres, or uh, the entire milieu of, of, whole, of the whole study world. But he focused specifically on this song about how it, when Holly comes walking in, broken heels and uh, her hair done up in broken glass, the priest just kind of laughs, which I thought was a, a, a sort of interesting way of like the sort of... He, and he said, it's, it's, he put out how com- it's, it's kind of a comic image of, you know, it's almost, almost like, a uh, like the end of the graduate a, a church is disrupted by someone who's clearly shouldn't be there at that time, but it's also joyful, right? Because she's coming back almost as if the priest knows the, that I, we know you're a hood, rep, But you're going to come back. You're going to come back to the spiritual reawakening that exists in this
2: building. And you're going to tell your story as well. So I thought that I, I, I like that line as well. So. I think that's also kind of a Catholic thing, or I don't know if this is true earlier. I don't know if I remember things being like this, but as I've gone to church services as an adult, I've noticed it almost seems like there should, that it's an ethic that priests have of generosity in moments when the mass is disrupted. Like a toddler gets loose and like starts running up and down the aisles or something. The priests. Some priests who are like a little more humorless may not acknowledge it, but often there's like a little bit of humor and openness, and and I think it's the same sort of vibe I get here, where this wild person comes in during Easter Mass and disrupts it, which should be sort of offensive, but I think there is a little bit of a we're all sinners, we're all flawed, so we treat during this sort of celebration, we we treat people even if they're acting out. With some humor and good good nature, so I think there's, you could see that it's not so, from my experience, not so wild of a reaction for a priest. Right, kind of. Fits. Right, right, right. right, right, right. Good priest, I would say. <laughs> good job.
1: It also, I think, allows for Craig a little bit of light into his work, right? Because. Almost Killed Me was very much a funny record, and I don't think it was mm. hard to... It was one-liners, it was jokes, yeah. etc. cetera. There's still great one-liners, and there's still great irony, but it's this has the feeling of a more dramatic work. And for him to allow for this disruption to say, like, yeah, this is this big moment where Holly comes back, but it's also kind of funny. And that was, you know, we explored that a little bit more... In the episode that'll come out next week, but there is that sort of humor, even for Craig as the writer, there's an opportunity for levity amidst this big finishing dramatic resurrection on Easter moment.
2: Right. If I'm yeah. If I'm the priest, I'm like calling an audible for the homily <laughs> sermon. I'm like I'm, this. Thank you, God. All right, I wrote something out, but I think I'm going to riff a little today. Right, I, I can put this one in the pocket I can and use it another time. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, so the priest did laugh. The deacon caught a draft, and Holly asked, "Can I tell your congregation how our, how a resurrection really feels?" Then the perspective changes from the sort of. Over my narrator. Uh, Holly was a hood rat, and now you finally know that she's been disappeared for years. Today she finally came back. But then it goes into this sort of first person journey where she talks about where she where she went all over the country. And then it goes back into third person, which I find interesting again the sort of multi multi-valenced narrative tack that happens in this song it it's it, it reminds me again of the the shift and we talked about this in an earlier episode of bob dylan changing pronouns and blood on the tracks and making that journey that 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 narrative takes uh not a singular journey for an individual but for an entire generation and i don't know that this is an entire generation but it's 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 being a bit more ambitious than simply having Holly tell her, tell her story. And again, it's trying to be universal and saying, this is our story. This is all of our story. We, we heard about this place called the United States and yeah, I just, I, I, I know I'm not really sure if I'm making sense, but I just, I just had to point that out. So.
2: yeah. I want to note really quickly while we're on that passage, when I heard her say, I love you too. I think that's the narrator referring to Holly saying, "I love you too." Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. That so, now that but, no, I'm not correcting you, Sean. So much. I think it's like multivalent. I know you love to be corrected. You know when you're wrong, <laughs> uh, but but, but I, I, I do. But I just want to. I don't want to get too too over the top about it or too ahead of ourselves. But the "I love you" being the sort of inflection point of the song, I think, is important. We had some debates previously about how the Bible ends with a wedding and whether this album might end with a wedding. And I just want to quickly note, I love you here and also connect that with hostile mass where they wandered out of mass together. And here we have, I love you at a key moment in the song and we have bells at the end of the song, whether there may be some romantic love as a source of salvation coming in here towards it.
0: well, I mean, it, it, again, the I love you could, may not be directed towards the the sort of male perspective narrator that I think we all sort of assume is is admiring Holly from afar throughout the throughout this story. Right. And, you know, maybe maybe even like, you know, a lot of Craig Finn's narrators are like secretly in love with some of the female protagonists in a lot of his songs. Right. So we get that. There's that, there's that sense. But there's also the sense of she's saying to I love you, too. Spirituality to yeah, God, God to 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 Jesus. Yeah. That's the wedding that's gonna take place. The wedding of, of Holly to her, spirituality of God to man, that whole thing. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed.
1: Stop signs and subway cars. 13th peace.
2: Okay. While we're kind of on the text, real right. quick. How do you think the muralist feels the guy who painted an entire wall on East 13th Street in New York City when Hallelujah shows up again? And he like had put in all this effort to create this beautiful piece of art memorializing this person he thought was dead. And then she's, she's rolling in, rolling back into town.
0: Wait, wait, wait! So, so, so is is East Thirteenth? Do you assume is that New York City or is that, or is that is is that in Minnesota? It's, it's,
1: I Daniel, I, it seems it seems vague <laughs> enough that I I don't I I don't necessarily think it, so think of it as I've been looking on Google Maps right now at in anticipation of this coming up. I was actually thinking about bringing it out for a Golden Nugget, but okay, Minneapolis has a north south. 13th i don't Mm -hmm. see that it is east west which okay st paul has an east 13th and it is in theory i can't you know i'm not going to try to do street view in theory it's something you would see from highway i-35 so it's possible Mm. that the mural is facing i-35 so that everybody driving down one of our nation's principal arteries of travel and commerce might know that hallelujah should rest in peace.
2: Okay. Quick counterpoint. Stop signs and subway cars. Minneapolis not known for its underground transit system. True. I think chiefly because it doesn't have one <laughs> that I know of. So, so like uh, is... Is there a, a
0: a is is Saint Patrick's Cathedral on East Thirteenth Street in New York City? Because that would sort of
2: nail it, wouldn't it? I think it's further uptown. I'm not going to do street view, but when I, East Thirteenth, I think of the East Village, and I think of right? the high hat yeah, yeah. and some of those some of those bars that I know the band was hanging out with when they were making this album. That's what I think of, kind of that that scene, that rock and roll neighborhood of the mid aughts. So. I think the muralist would be a little upset. (laughs) Well, he would be a little upset to to
0: explain that. Tell me what you mean. He
2: made a mural about Hallelujah, and then she's not dead. His art is like predicated on a a lie. (laughs) Not a lie, but I mean, I painted this and now you're a lie. This is well, imagine like the the, the apostles, like they start, they like, they're like, okay, we got to write this down. And they're like we better start right away so it's like they're like get a writer's room together they're like storyboarding everything out and like you know (laughs) and then and then there's like they're like spitballing different ideas like what how to structure the third act or whatever and then (laughs) and then and then jesus like knocks on he's like comes in and he's like oh dude you guys are like really really cooking here good stuff (laughs) And they're like, bro, <laughs> I, I, I love the idea of the New Testament as a writer's room.
0: I think that's just amazing.
2: That's but why it just, took them seventy years. Yeah, that's like, right. They're like, they to this make sure guy, like down. They're like, this is a major, major plot hole, dude. Like right, what you right, just right. did. It's like we got to sell this to an audience. Like, and
1: and, and the really
0: showrunner, like, the showrunner died right (laughs) showrunner died so they they were right exactly yeah Yeah. right right i so i didn't read it as literally east 13th street and anywhere the the way i read this line is that the mural doesn't necessarily have to be consciously painted by someone who missed holly might meaning that there might be just there might be literal yeah, the, the, there might her. be like like the like someone might have seen this painted. It could have been just like some some crazy religious guy painting, some religious iconography, but the narrative, the narrator saw this and folded that into when you see it through the narrator's eyes of everything is I miss Holly, then everything, every single symbol becomes folded into that. So <laughs> so that's the way I sort of read that. I didn't read it. I, I didn't read it literally. I read it like you know. <laughs> Look, our I, whole world is crashing down. Look, the, even the sign, the signs are there. Look at that
2: sign. Oh, my God! Hallelujah, rest, rest in peace. Because it doesn't say Holly. It says hallelujah. So Right. It's like right. a naked gun where he's everywhere I looked that something reminded me of her. And then he looks out right. the car it's, window right. and he sees... <laughs> Two giant breast-like domes <laughs> right, right. on the horizon. <laughs> Same effect here.
0: Exact, right, exactly. Right, right. I, um, I'm, D- D- Daniel I'm, had his hand up.
1: I'm drawing on clicks and hisses for, uh-huh. I think Mike's point about the subway cars is actually probably the clinching, clinching argument here. But Matt from clicks and hisses pens East 13th to 13th Avenue, Northeast in Minneapolis an up-and-coming mm. stretch in the Northeast Arts District of the city. Street has hipped galleries, anchor fish and chips, and the Ritz Theater. Apparently, it's a good spot to look up from your pint of surly brew and see a hood rat mural. So <laughs> all right, that, okay. that's his argument. But I, I think the I, subway cars... There's also somebody on the Genius tab says, I guess I never bothered to think about the cover arts to Separation Sunday. They peg to being... Brooklyn to being East Williamsburg. Huh. So that would make an argument for some New York.
2: Right, um, right,
1: right, right, right. But yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because the album is so, is still pretty Minneapolis heavily and in, in um multitude of casualties. She's mm-hmm. in a church on a, in St. Paul somewhere.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of time spent talking about and on the Mississippi River in this album. So we're sort of closing in on the, even on the last verses of the
2: song. What do you guys make of that? I think Sean, you should probably answer this because you've referred back to that line multiple times over the course of the podcast. So I think it's sort of an impactful one for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, Holly, the narrator, is alluding to the fact that that Holly, the narrator, and more importantly, Craig, the songwriter, is alluding to the fact that this movement is cyclical, that the tale of Holly, who is a metaphor for a lot of people at that age, that we're going to have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Hollies telling the exact same story. And again, I, I think as, as as Father Christian kind of pointed out in the podcast that's that's coming up, The Bible, along with a number of great literary works, are cyclical, that they end and then they begin again. The last words of Joyce's Finnegan's Wake feed directly into the opening lines, meaning that you you open it up and you close the book and you go to the first page and those lines feed in syntactically and even sensibly to the closing ones that you just quote, just quote, ended the novel. So I think that, that, that I love this idea of Holly saying, look, it's going to happen again. Uh, you know, <laughs> don't turn me on again. And we have a sense that Holly is probably going to get turned on again and she'll go and get herself all gone again. So I think that's one way of, of, of talking about that. But yeah.
1: I'd like to interject with two other examples from popular culture of that. One which I care less about, which is Joanna Newsome on Divers has the same sort of Finnegan's Wake, I think. She, the last word, I can't remember what it is, but I remember it happening, feeds into the first sentence. More importantly, Mighty Max, the cartoon show in the 90s, did a loop back and then it just never, it never closed, the, it never like escape the loop he beats he faces the bad guy at the end finds out that he's not going to beat him but then he puts on the hat and he transports him back to where he discovered the hat at the beginning of the season and yeah it, it's just it drove me nuts what's, what's, as a kid I, I, it still still you, you me. just
0: you just made me think of another one pink floyd's the wall did you guys know this that if you listen to the last track on side one, on what we used to call side four, kids, there's a brief little snippet of dialogue of a guy talking, and you can't really make it. It's kind of obscure. I'm sure Pink Floyd purists could could parse that for us. But if it feeds into that same snippet of dialogue briefly, like for a few seconds on side one, track one, it loops. The wall is a is a circular movement. That's just in another way that, and again. It's it's a concept album, which, of course,
2: Craig is sort of aping here, or at least approximating. And on the theme of cyclicality, what better way to evoke that than a refrain of walk on back. Right. That echoes and echoes and echoes until the end of the album. Going out and coming back, going out and coming back walk on back walk on, walk on, walk on, walk on. and the sound
0: that the album closes with what, what is that? um you guys said what is it, it it's ding, ding 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 sounds like
1: fairer shock a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, bum, 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 bum. it's not quite the same but and now, it's, it's
0: it sounds like a toy piano doesn't it Did, do i have that it, what, what do you guys think it sounds like i always heard toy piano there
1: it's it's not like it's not actual church bells, right? It's it evokes bells, but yeah, it could it could a thumb piano maybe? It could be know. a triangle, honestly. It could be three different tone triangles.
2: Yeah. It's, it
0: but I it's, I just I I hear a, like a toy instrument of some sort. Yeah. And it made me think of how um there were a number of songs that were like popular songs at that time that were ending on they were using toy instruments. Wilco's I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. I'm trying to bring that song ends on a like toy Let's piano. It. So it made me think of that, but it also, it made me think of like a childhood innocence that we're, that we're going back to the beginning, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. So yeah, but you're right, Mike, I walk on back, walk on by. Yeah.
1: I think the gone again is also at least a hint of self-awareness of con of, 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 at least understanding her flaws she knows she actually did know at the beginning right she has to concentrate when she kisses i've never done so much of that but now she's had the experience to know that if she goes too far she was strung out but experienced if she gets too turned on then she'll just get gone again and so there's like a little bit of a She's learned her lesson.
2: Mike is. You get the sense that she hasn't been concentrating for a while. Like there's been very little <laughs> concentration lately. She's right, not right, right, been right. very focused. Yeah. Right.
1: <sighs> well, that's the first act, second act, third act, right? Right.
0: Right. right, right, right. Yeah. So why do you think the, the narrator says we all got kind of curious? Is this, you know, I'm going to go straight to re- religion. Is this good news, good news? And the disciples are like saying, ah, wait a minute, this um, this guy this guy has a message. And is this sort of analogous to that kind of thing? Or is it something
2: else? Oh, I like that way better than the way I heard it, which was just kind of, she's getting reintroduced to this rock and roll party world. And people are just kind of viewing her as intriguing and like i thought it was a very superficial perception of her from the point of view of of the we all here which i don't think is quite as Rich or interesting? I wish I was in the shower naked right now, Sean. Because it's hitting me in a completely different way.
0: If I had a dime for every time some good-looking guy said to me, "I wish I was in a shower naked right now." God, I just uh, wish I was naked in the shower. Yeah, that's right.
1: I hear. I get that so often. I just weird. Well, Daniel, you look like you want to say something. Else. If we're talking about the cyclical, and Mike's gonna dislike this even more. But if you talk mm-hmm. about the cyclical nature. So that's part, we all got kind of curious. So it's like, all right. And so now we're going to pay attention to her story. And so then we start the record over, which the part that Mike won't like is, it reminds me that my favorite Dylan songs are songs where he just, it's sort of like he's winking at you that this whole thing was a waste. It's like, we didn't go anywhere. Visions of Johanna, stuck in mobile, stuck inside a. Or Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Stuck inside of Mobile with the (laughs)
0: Memphis Blues again.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Where it's just like the end, the like, end. I I once thought about writing like an article or an essay about this. The end point is just like, so we did all this stuff and we didn't get it. We just got stuck. Like we couldn't actually move. We did this journey of the mind and we, and so that's where we all got kind of curious. It makes me feel like where it's a wink of, we've just listened to this 45 minute album and here we are like for all this movement, we're still, Holly's still going to get gone again. Like we, have we moved anywhere? And that's, you can get philosophical about how that applies to life in general, but that's sort of,
2: yeah. Is there glory in the struggle? (laughs) Is there any redeeming element to this whole thing? But I think like, there is. It's an album about creativity and it's an album about looking for something more and trying to find your way out of bad spots. That illusion could be we all got kind of curious and it's a, in a dismissive way, like you're saying. Or this is the start of a new path, which I'm going to steal one of Daniel's tricks. I listened to Stuck Between Stations, the first song off of Boys and Girls in America at, right after listening to this and the contrast between the mood of those two songs and the tempo and the uplift of this song rocks, how resurrection really feels has a lot of movement to it, but I think it feels sad and final and stuck between stations kicks off really hard and is a very much more uplifting song despite being about a suicide. And so I think there's something like artistically directionally that this is a maybe an inflection point and there is a cyclicality to this but you also spin out from this song into like a new orbit into when you get into the next album from here. So it's right. like where do we go from here is kind of where this song ends and then I think what's most sort of striking and inspiring about the way the next album kicks off. It's like, I think we might have found a way to go. Right. From you in Stuck Between Stations. So that's
0: a great way to think about that. That's that's a that's fantastic, interesting way to think about that. Let me get my wasteland tropes out of the way. So, yes, can, let's so, do that, it. so that so that so that, that Daniel's wonderful mic drop doesn't get wasted again.
1: Wasted by the wasteland.
0: I'm taking up a lot of real estate here with, or I'm I'm going to sort of make an, a comparison between this song and the last two cantos of The Wasteland, which are called The Fire Sermon and What the Thunder Said. These are big, long cantos, multiverse cantos uh, with a lot of allusions. I'm not going to parse them all, but I think it's worth noticing which, that here in this final song, we have a quasi-fire sermon, and we have what the thunder said. If anyone's the thunder in this narrative, it's Holly. And so she gets to tell us exactly how, uh, how exa- she gets to tell her tale uh, of what happened to her. Also worth noting is the, the last words of The Wasteland are not in English. It's shanti, 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 the peace which path is understanding. And Holly is walk on back, walk on back, walk on back, walk on back. So I think it's it's quasi analogous there in that it ends on an incantation, it ends on a prayer, it ends on there's there's something going on there. So my PhD thesis is intact once again as I parse (laughs) because I compare Separation Sunday with with uh, the wasteland. So
2: well, real quick, Sean, you said there's definitely a fire sermon here. What's the fire sermon? in in general, and what is it in the song? I'm not really sure what what the fire sermon
0: is in The Wasteland. Oh, you know what? I'm do, do, Hold on one second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The fire sermon is canto three. Ignore that. So I thought that was canto four for some reason. But what the thunder said is, look, here's a quote from it. A woman drew her long black hair out tight and fiddled whisper music on those strings and bats with baby faces in the violet light whistled. And beat their wings. Someone who a sort of witchy woman coming back to sort of regale us with this fire sermon. I think that's kind of what Holly could stand for. And probably a bit of a stretch, but not as much of a stretch if you if Craig only has a three minute song. Elliot has access to a lot of real estate in that poem. So, well, so well, let's let's go ahead and I think we've reached golden nuggets time. So, uh, do we do we go? Do we have golden nuggets?
1: I mean, I'm fairly thin here. A lot of the things I was thinking up, because I was so focused on the finality, the a lot of the things I came up with faded. I think there's something really interesting about how the Hold Steady approaches last tracks on their albums. And I don't... Heaven is Whenever and Teeth Dreams are, I don't know well enough to speak to, but Killer Parties is sort of a jam. This is... St- Southern rock is the feel. I think somebody has called it Southern rock from the band. I can't remember if it was Tad or Craig or Franz. Southtown Girls is also a little bit of sort of in between that and Seeger, I would say, or that sort of like blue collar journey, almost a little bit without the 80s aspects of it. Slapped actress is a little, I don't know if it, it's also has that final feeling, but a little different. And then confusion in the marketplace. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but I realized after we had our guest last season, Emily Harris, that it's a rip from Purple Rain by Prince. The again, I think those are probably something like these that you could do like a double. Amen cadence, I think can go D to A to E and I think that might be what they're doing there. On their new album, I don't I don't have I've been listening to their new album a decent amount, but I don't the the closing song I think has echoes of Tom Petty actually, but I can't remember. But anyway, they they go to the in the first four albums especially they really as I think I quoted earlier, they do work hard on their closing songs. And it's interesting what that means for them. We've talked a lot about the lyrics and I mentioned the, but it seems like they go to the same part of their palette. And that's just something that I think is, they do not go to like the late nineties, early 00s emo finish where you, you have the big sound, but then you fade down to zero and then you build back up like right, uh right, right. weezer's last track on their first album they don't go they don't pull that card but they probably shouldn't be whole even though they yeah. were on vagrant records they probably shouldn't be in the whole thing that's i think that's all the other thing i as i was looking at clicks and his is the tim's twitter listening party franz apparently said that walk On back was the working title for this song so that's interesting oh wow
0: that is interesting I'm familiar with the closing song on heaven is whatever, which is called a a slight discomfort. And it's, it's one of those like six to seven minute songs in which there's, it's kind of dark. This won't hurt, but you might feel a slight discomfort is sort of the chorus, sort of the analogous to walk on back. This happens here. It's a pretty dark song. It's basically a guy from almost from a religious perspective, getting impatient with someone in his life who wasn't as spiritual and religious and intensely, how do I put this? Intensely committed as he would have liked him, her to be. I'm almost certain it's a her, but I don't want to, but yeah, this won't hurt. It is a song that's very well produced. It's a song they spent a lot of time on, but it sort of fleshes out the somewhat darker motif that permeates heaven is whenever. Heaven is Whenever is a bit of a downer album. I think that they would readily admit that, too.
1: Well, it was a tough time in there, sort of between Franz leaving and Tad's health issues.
0: Right, right, right.
1: Craig has a
0: divorce somewhere in there. Mike, any golden nuggets? Yeah. What is a video booth? So you you used to be able to see these, like, I, I saw one on the boardwalk at ocean city like uh, about 4 or 5 years ago that you used to be able to go in and make a video you could make your own music video like you could you could plug in a track of, of your popular song and then you and your friends it's kind of, it's kind of like it's kind of like captured karaoke you you could you and your friends could go in there and sing the lyrics of, the, of your favorite song together or you could do it by yourself if you wanted to and you would get a copy of that somehow i can't remember how you got the copy but yeah, you, you could actually do that. There's something that you could you could pay to do, you know, a few tokens on, on the boardwalk, unless somebody else has a better explanation or a better understanding of that.
1: Yeah, not to keep relying on the same sources, but this is what we do textually. Genius agrees with you. Clicks and hisses argues that it's a private porn booth, which makes me think of, it makes me think of The Piano Teacher, I think it is, where there's, it's a book where I feel like there's a lot of, I, that's... I hear Private Porn Booth and that, I'm thinking of that, that book where the character is like going under a bridge to a peep show or some or right, like yeah, a, right. something like right. that. So it could be It's that. probably
2: both. It's probably both. I had some porno undercurrents, but I just honestly didn't know. So I guess that's less of it. I was like, give me a golden nugget as opposed to me providing one for you guys. <laughs> So thank you. Thank you both. You're, you're, you're welcome. You're, we you provided hell, a half of a golden nugget and I put them together into a full nugget. That's all I had. What do I have?
0: I, I'm I'm kind of feeling the way Daniel felt, which is we've, we've pretty much covered everything or alluded to things that we thought we, we, we kind of like, we're, we were talking about this song three or four podcasts ago and how, you know, it it would reference it so every time we had came across an interesting piece of of lyrics or narrative about the about holly or about the about the the, what was happening in that narrative we would say oh yeah and then in resurrection really feels she 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 does this building this this. yes we've been building this now i feel like we're out of ammunition i don't want to bore our listeners any more than i already do but yeah i just i don't really have much i don't really have i i love the song i like like Mike, I could listen to it clothed and in my living room or crying in the shower. I just love it that much, so I don't really know what to say. I, I feel like clothed
2: I, or crying. I,
0: exactly. <laughs> I think, I, yeah, I feel like we're we're depriving our listeners of that big, huge ending that the whole study themselves would be impatient with. They would want to make sure that we that
2: or they would want to lean into. They want to make sure that we end big. So I apologize for not. Well, wait, 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 OK, let me try it. Let me take one more swing. All right. I'll take one do more it. swing. I spent the past week thinking a lot about my earlier adulthood. And I think that's partly because I've been spending a lot of time with my daughter, who's young. And we have another child coming along the way. And so I'm entering, you know, middle age for real. It's getting real. And I've spent a lot of time lately. I think it's partly there isn't much to do during the pandemic, et cetera. Thinking about the past and thinking about my own sort of spiritual path and my own sort of history with substance abuse and partying, not all of which is pretty, some of which is, you know, I I look back on with with a fair amount of regret. And I've also been thinking about Catholicism and how guilt is kind of intertwined with your relationship with yourself and your relationship with your past. And on the one hand, there's a sense in which everyone being guilty, everyone being possessed of original sin is a negative. It means we're all shameful and we're all bad in a way. But I think this gets back to the song. So I'm getting back to the song here that the fact that we're all shameful and we're all bad and we all have a history of sin and deprivation is unifying thing and the whole study is all about i think that unifying experience of getting through difficult times and reckoning with who you are as a person and i think resurrection really does get us to that point because we have holly brought as low as she possibly could be but at the same time she has an experience that she can share that sort of transcends all of the garbage and moves people to memorialize these events and moves people to curiosity to sort of see if, if there could be more. And so, you know, getting back to me crying in the shower, I think there's a little bit of that, that that's, she's a hood rat. We're revealing that now. Now I've finally gotten around to telling you 45 minutes of song later, but that's the unifying sort of element that's what that's the purpose of this this album that's the purpose of this band is to reveal this kind of shared unity through shame or through through troubled past so this song does mean a lot to me it is important to me there's a reason i cried in the shower when i heard it
0: i don't think that we could sum up this episode nor this season's podcast any better i think that was very moving and very, very, uh just very cool, Mike. I think that brings us to the end of our 11 song journey into separation Sunday. It's been, I want to thank uh, both Mike and Dan for allowing me to take over uh, momentarily or, or uh, the, the hosting duties for this. It's just been a joy. It's been a lot of fun. So thank you both for that opportunity. I really appreciate you reaching out to me, knowing how rabid a fan I was of this band. So. That means a lot. I think that's
1: it. Is, is there anything else that you guys want to add? Likewise. Thank you, Sean. And thank you, Mike. And thank you, listeners. And we do have bonus episodes as yeah. you. Now you finally know that, but we've, we've probably have said it a <laughs> times. It took us more than 45 <laughs> minutes to tell you. <laughs> but uh,
0: yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you again. We'll yeah, see you
1: soon,
2: Sean. Thanks. Bye everybody.
1: Thank you for joining us on season 2 of The Positive Jam. As we mentioned a few times during the episode, there are bonus episodes to come, starting with Father Christian Rab. Starting with Father Christian Rabb, a Catholic scholar and a musician, to share his insights on the band from a doctrinal and musical perspective. That'll come out next week as normal. And we'll have a couple more after that if all goes to plan. But we want to thank you for being here on this journey with us. Email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com or tweet us at at Sean Westfall, at M. Taylor, and at Daniel Shortman. We'd love to hear from you, and we're open to ideas for Season 3 of A Positive Jam. It's not a done deal that it will be on the whole steady or that it'll happen, and we're open to taking this wherever. Stay positive, Walk on back, hold steady, and see you next week.